Well, hello, everybody. As John said, my name is Luke, I, and you've probably most of you have seen me up here. I've genuinely been up on the stage hundreds of times, but this is the, the first time I've, I've done it in this capacity, and I'm, I'm really excited to share with you guys. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to be getting into the last week of our sermon series on anxiety. And it has been probably the most well-timed sermon series I've ever experienced, for me personally, specifically, as today is uh, about anxiety from talking in front of a lot of people for the first time, I think. <laughs> No, it is not. But I do truly believe this has been one of the, the best-timed uh, Alpine series I've seen in eight years of coming here. I think that in just the time of year that we're doing it, coming into the holidays, I think it can be a really anxious time for a lot of people. But beyond that, I think on a sort of cosmological timeline in the history of humanity, I think anxiety has been a, a much more prevalent issue now than it has been in the past. At least we're drawing a lot more attention to it because we're realizing that it's there. And this sermon series has been called Anxious for Nothing, which is a name taken directly from Scripture. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. And, and that is what we've kind of called the secret to overcoming anxiety. That's what we broke into in the, in the first week of this series. In the next few weeks, we covered very common causes of anxiety that a lot of people experience. The first one being, we kind of analyzed what the, the personality freak, you might call a control freak, feels, and, and why they might feel a lot of anxiety due to their personality and their, their thought patterns. The next week, we looked at how anxious thought patterns can kind of spiral if you allow them to, and you ruminate on them and, and run them over and over again in your head, and it becomes an unhealthy uh, cause for anxiety. The next one that we covered, which was last week, it was perfectly time for Thanksgiving as well, was anxiety with our social interactions with people and our responsibility to be peacemakers with them. And I know that a lot of you guys maybe haven't experienced some of these anxieties. I think they're very common causes for anxiety in the general populace, but I myself, personally, I don't have a lot of social anxiety. I'm generally pretty confident when I'm interacting with somebody. I'm generally pretty confident in the way that I can communicate my ideas and I can listen to others and do it in a peacemaking way. I also am a pretty laid-back person, for those of you who know me. I generally find it pretty easy to just kind of take what comes, and I don't, I don't feel like I have to control everything that's happening to me, so I don't suffer from anxiety in that way. I think a lot of you guys are probably feeling that same sort of thing, but the anxiety that we're going to talk about today to close this series is one that I truly believe every single person in Western culture is going to experience at some point in their life, and that is going to be anxiety about your finances. Um, and I also, too, just this is my first time up here, right? And I, I want to take, take a second to address maybe a little elephant in the room. I, I, uh, I'm talking to a room full of people who are a lot wiser than me, if you know what I mean. I've, I've tried to hide it for the last several weeks. I've grown up my biggest, baddest beard. <laughs> Emphasis on the baddest, because it's not very good. I, I've put on my oldest sweater, wore my baggy brown jeans, or brown pants and my skinny jeans. I put on my dadliest shoes. But no matter what I do, gosh dang it, I cannot hide this youthful glow. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just put out. I'm a young guy. I, I, I don't have as much experience as a lot of you in this room. And that, honestly, to be fair, some of you guys might be thinking, with something as important as my finances, why would I want to trust this kid on the stage giving me advice? But I would fight back a little bit on that and say, I, I know a lot of you would come to me and, and trust me with advice about Jesus or my opinions in the Bible. And honestly, if you, if you hold your finances so preciously that you wouldn't trust a young leader in your church to tell you what the Bible has to say about them, I think that might be part of the problem. The attitude that you have towards finances being more valuable than something else. So with that, I just would like to say, please listen. 
<laughs> please, please listen to what I have to say. I truly believe that I, I've been given a little bit of authority to speak here to you guys, and I think I got a lot of good stuff to tell you from the Bible. And honestly, to my credit on this, we're, we're not actually doing a sermon on financial advice, because you shouldn't take that from me. <laughs> That's that not something I'm trained on. I don't know a whole lot about that. I'm not trying to tell you today what you should do to maximize your retirement, or where you should put your investments, or how you should really be spending your money. I'm not here to do that. But I am here to tell you about anxiety caused by that. And I also think, to my credit, I'm a lot less far removed from a poor college kid lifestyle than a lot of you people as well. It was just a couple years ago that I was general, gen, genuinely impoverished in college. I was pretty much destitute. I did not have extra money. And then, as a result of being close to that, I'm actually a lot closer to the transition out of that stage than a lot of you might have been. So, I, I think I, I, I generally have some authority here to talk to you guys about this, and I, I just am excited to share from the Bible about this. Today we're going to be getting into a, a key verse, which is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is from Paul to the Philippians. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And a little bit about Paul is, when he says empty stomach, he means it. When he says little, he means it. He went through a lot of hardships in his life. He was in multiple shipwrecks. People tried to kill him. He, he, he was in need several times throughout his life in several seasons. So he knows what he's talking about here when he says he's content in all these things. And I love this last verse, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is possibly the most quoted verse in Scripture, honestly, with maybe the exception of John 3.16. But most of the time, it's quoted out of context, right? Like you just hear that, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, which is great and encouraging. When you look at what Paul wrote it about, it was contentment. It was about things that he had or didn't need, or, or, or any, it, was, it was about his attitude on life. And I think that this anxiety is going to come after all of us, whether we have too much or have too little. I know that sounds a little weird, but we'll get into that. But I think a lot of us would say we have too little. I think that is where we would most of the time see this anxiety. So that's what we're going to start with. But just a little reassurance for you. If you have too little, God does know your needs. He knows what you need, oftentimes even before you do. So this is the part that we usually talk about in church. And I, I, I love talking about it. I, we love talking about it in church because we get to show off God's miracles a little bit. And I, I do love that because they happen. They're real. God's miracles of provision are amazing. I've seen them literally dozens of times in my own life, in my own personal experience. On paper, I look at my life, and if I were to add up all the finances for my last eight to ten years, it wouldn't make any sense that I'm here with a home <laughs> that I didn't starve to death. Like, it wouldn't make any sense, truly. I came from a, a kind of broken home. Like, we didn't have super great finances growing up. I went to college for six years because I took my time. That adds up. I, now, two years later, I don't even have any student debt left, which is crazy. Yeah, praise God. Thank you, God. I, I had to do a study abroad for my degree, the, the one that I chose, which is expensive, so nice job, me, again, holy cow. But I also got married before I got out of college, and we had a wedding to pay for. We had a lot of expenses. We had a lot of stuff going on, but... I made it through somehow. I, I don't say any of this because I, I think that I worked hard enough to get through that or somehow I long suffered through something and now I deserve what I have because I don't think that. I just say it because it honestly does not make sense that I am here. It really does not. And that is God's miraculous provision. I've seen it. It's amazing. And it came through a lot of little miracles sometimes. Like one time, my first job in college, 
my next tuition installment was coming up, and I didn't have any work, I got a job that I could start like the next day so that I could pay in three weeks. It was great. It was amazing. One time it looked like an internship that Alpine Church created just for me so that I could stay here over the summer and make a little bit extra money to pay for that study abroad that I needed. At the same time, a generous couple offered to let me stay at their house for free for the whole summer, which, another miracle. Multiple times it looked like just a check that came in the mail when I needed it most from my dad or my grandparents or, or a generous couple who just decided to send me money. I hadn't asked him to, but God anticipated that need before I even asked somebody about it. Another time when I came home from that study abroad, I hadn't been able to work for several months legally. I didn't have a visa, so I couldn't work over there. I couldn't afford rent when I got home, so my friend offered to cover the first three months of my rent while I got my finances figured out. And then one of the biggest ones was a conviction to change what I thought I had planned for my life. I was convinced I was not going to get married until after I graduated. And largely that was due to financial anxiety. It was because it was I, I was worried about the fact that I could barely provide for myself, let alone a wife. But then talking to my at-the-time girlfriend, now wife, Kaylee, she helped me to realize that the anxiety doesn't just go away after a wedding. That's not going to be some magical threshold we step through and we are in financial peace and security. That's not what's going to happen. So we did get married right before my first year, or my last year of college, rather, which was honestly one of the very best possible decisions I could have ever made. Number one, big ups, got a great wife. So that's a little wonderful. <laughs> but on top of that, my last year of college, I had a student teach. I couldn't work, which I hadn't thought of when I was planning out my life. I couldn't make any money. So, so God blessed me with a, a hardworking and, and, and sacrificing wife who was able to provide for both of us. God is good, and he is faithful, and he, he knows my needs before I do. Paul talks about this characteristic of God in, in Philippians a little further. He goes on to say, at, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. A little bit of context for this verse, and honestly, the book of Philippians in general. This is, a, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and they had just sent him a gift of material things, whether it's money or food, we honestly don't know, but they had just sent him a gift that he needed. And this is kind of a thank you note. God provided for him through this church, and he is promising to them, this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs. The same God will provide it. It will happen. This is a promise. It is a fact. It's not for us to worry about, actually. This isn't even our thing to worry about. And Jesus actually said that specifically in Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. <laughs> plenty, plenty of stuff to deal with today. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. And that is what Jesus himself said. But it's easy to say that. Well, I, like, I'd be lying if I said I never worried about my finances or about what I was going to eat or what I was going to wear. There were plenty of times in my college career I genuinely didn't get to eat a meal. I wasn't sure if I could eat the next day. And I worried about that. But the Bible clearly says here that this is not something we need to worry about. And Jesus told us how to do it. It's simple, but it's not easy. He told us right before, in the verses before this one, actually. He said, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, in all his glory, has not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, 
he will certainly care for you, which is true. But then Jesus kind of does the mic drop part for us. He says, why, why do you have so little faith? That's the next verse. He says, why do you have so little faith? And it can be kind of a hurtful mic drop to us, I think, because I'm thinking maybe if I'm back in my time of need, I'm like, wait, so even if you didn't have that check sent to me in the mail and I went hungry for the rest of the week, even if you didn't help me pay for my rent and I had a big conflict there and maybe got thrown out of my house, I'm supposed to trust you. Am I supposed to trust a God who doesn't give me the things that I ask for because I need them? I'm suffering, I'm hungry, I'm cold, I'm in need, and he doesn't give me the things I'm asking for. Am I supposed to have faith in him? And yes. And that's the simple answer, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But that's kind of the point, honestly. Like, if you're a Christian in here, you have already decided to have enough faith in a God who is somehow both just and merciful to figure out a plan of salvation to forgive you of the sins against him that you didn't deserve. But for some reason, we can trust him to fulfill that, our greatest need, spiritually, but sometimes we just can't figure out how, how we can trust him to, to provide for us here on earth. And if you're not a Christian, I've got good news for you. There's, there's a great God that we're talking about who has figured out in his justice and mercy how to forgive you for your sins against him, your greatest need. And a God who can work a miracle that big is certainly a God who can, who can be powerful to save in the, world, in the worldly trials that we're going through, whether we think that we have enough or not to get through them. I want to quickly mention a little verse from the Old Testament as well. In, the, in the, the time when Israel was in its exile in the wilderness for 40 years, it's kind of well-deserved exile, but, but they were there for 40 years. It was a long time. And if you guys are on hard times, I would encourage you truly to, to take a, a look at that story because it is a story of God's constant provision, even though they constantly complained about it. This says right here, Deuteronomy 29.5, For 40 years I led you through the wilderness, let your clothes and sandals did not wear out. And I think this is a beautiful picture of how God's provision might look for us. He didn't say, I gave them new sandals or I gave them new clothing, which is kind of how we in our physical existence think about doing it. We want to get somebody something new to provide for them or we need something new for us if our stuff breaks. But God didn't do that. He said, your clothes and your sandals did not wear out for 40 years. The provision was there. They had enough, whether they thought they did or not. But that, that, that's, that's tough to do, is just have faith in a God when it seems like things are really bleak. But it's the answer. It's what we need to do. It takes an attitude change. But I don't think that just people who are in need are experiencing this anxiety. Um, I think that especially in, in Western culture, again, everybody is going to experience this, whether we're destitute, impoverished or not. So I, I would posit also that if you have too much, you're probably still anxious. And, and I'll explain what I mean a little bit by that. I mean, Paul talked about it too. In that first verse he said, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. So he's been on both ends of this. He figured out how to be content with nothing, which I pray that we can do the same. But with plenty, it brings its own problems. Again, I mentioned earlier, Kaylee and I, 
we, we've kind of transitioned out of a place where we really didn't have a whole lot of money. God has blessed us tremendously financially in the last two years. It's, been, it's made our lives very easy. It's been, it's been a huge blessing for us. But that doesn't mean that our anxiety has suddenly gone away about finances. Now we have a little bit more money to buy things that we want or maybe some financial security too. Like if my car broke down on the way home from church today, I wouldn't feel high and dry. I'd be fine. We could, we could pay to repair it if we needed to. But I think that culture has figured out a way to twist our, our thoughts on money and our perception of money to put it first. There's this cultural pressure all the time to get like the biggest, the best, the newest thing of whatever product it is that you're chasing, right? You want that new one. Or what about, I mean, this is a pressure I haven't felt, but what if you have kids and they've gone over to their friend's house and they've just played with this new toy and they're coming home and asking you for it because it was so much fun to play with over there, but you can't afford it. Or what if you're like scrolling through Instagram and the most delectable little morsel of a product comes across in a targeted ad for you and you didn't even know you wanted this product until the internet told you you wanted it and now you can't get your mind off of it and you just want to buy that thing. And what about Black Friday that literally just happened, right? But the holidays coming up, we gotta buy, we, we, got, we gotta get new things, we gotta get the most expensive thing for our friends or they're not gonna appreciate it or whatever it is. There's a lot of pressure that culture has created. I've experienced all of those with the exception of the children one in the last seven days, myself. Like, all of them, have, have those pressures have hit me. But you might be thinking also, like, well, I'm actually pretty disciplined with my finances, I don't have that problem. That's great, but do you put your security in those finances? Because that's just as bad, I gotta tell you. I think about the way that money can just fail. Money isn't permanent, money isn't infinite. <laughs> it isn't gonna last you forever, even if you have enough of it. I think about like the cryptocurrency debacle that recently went down. There's now thousands of former rich people <laughs> because they put all their money into cryptocurrency and then due to circumstances completely outside of their control, the whole industry failed. The market crashed. They, their pockets were emptied. They couldn't have done anything about it. And now what happens to them? If their faith is in all of that money they no longer have. And you might think, well, that's not going to happen to me. But, I mean, look at inflation. <laughs> like, like, what do any of us do about that? Life gets more and more expensive, and we don't necessarily make more and more. If you're constantly chasing the idea of always having enough, it's never going to happen. Or if you put your faith in this thing, it might fail you. An author in Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9, said it really well. He says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Great. I, God, please help me to do that too. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. I think this guy was kind of a genius. I think he had it figured out in a, in a way that a lot of us don't. A lot of us are thinking, man, if I just had more, I'd be fine. What happens when you get more? The target moves. It never stays the same. It's a pit that never gets filled. And I think the guy who wrote this, actually, the, the, the scholars, a lot of scholars believe that he was a contemporary of, of King Solomon, who was the richest king in the history of Israel. Um, so he got to see a lot of splendor in his life. He got to see a lot of rich things happening, the guy who wrote this proverb. But he also got to see the people in need in Jerusalem and in Israel. So I think his perspective was probably pretty accurate. He saw people stealing. He saw people misusing money. 
chasing more isn't the answer to all of his problems, and he knew that. So he prayed that prayer. I encourage you guys, all of you, to do that if you feel confident enough to do it. It's a scary prayer, having just enough. That's how I scraped by, right? It's not comfortable. It takes a little bit of discipline to do that. But Jesus addressed this exact topic, actually more than once, but in, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It is impossible to do both. It is impossible to believe that your finances are going to keep you afloat and be enough for you while also acknowledging that Jesus is your Savior and that he is enough for you. You cannot do both. Paul addressed this directly too to, to Timothy, his, his protege, his mentee. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That can be a, a big conviction for, for some of us, I think. And, and Pastor John pointed out, when he, when he gave this sermon, I loved it. There's, there's a lot that this verse does not say. It doesn't say that rich people are the problem. It doesn't say that people who have money are the problem. It doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says people who long to be rich, who can never have enough to get there, fall into temptation. It says that people craving money, seeking after it, have wandered from the true faith. And the outcome of that is not great. They've pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's what happens when you put your faith into something that falls apart. The verses go on and on. Honestly, the list piles up of verses about finances. We've got Mark 10, 17 through 23, Hebrews 13, 5. These all say, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Love Jesus. And there's just one more I, I will read for you guys. It's James 1, 10 and 11. I love it so much, I got it tattooed on my, on my arm to, to re remind me of this all the time. Those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. No matter how much they have or how much they have done, the hot sun comes up and that flower droops and falls. That's what's bound to happen. You're not going to take it with you. <laughs> I know that's an old cliche, an old trope, but it's true. When we die, what comes with us? It's not your riches. But now, maybe that caused you guys some anxiety. Maybe you weren't feeling it before. Maybe, maybe you have it now. But there's, there is one really, really good practical tip the Bible tells us about dealing with this anxiety that, that money can have a grip on our heart with. And it's whether you have too much or too little, honestly. And it's to put money in its proper place in your life, to really prioritize correctly and put this where it belongs. And the way to do this, it might seem a little counterintuitive, but it's generosity, giving it away. That releases the grip of money on your heart, whether you have too little or too much. Again, that might seem counterintuitive to you if you feel like you don't have enough. How am I supposed to give some away? But it's true. This is another thing I've experienced in my own life. I also really want to be clear as we're talking about this. Um, we try to be really clear when we talk from giving 
or talk from the stage about giving, if you guys are not regular attenders here, we don't want your money. We'd actually prefer you not to give it to us. But that doesn't mean we don't want you to give. You should be giving somewhere, whether it's to missionaries like Vicky that we had up here or, or other missionaries or, or a food bank or something. You're, you should be giving some of your money away to do some good in the world. But it's also not just to get rid of the money. That's not really the point because it's really easy to be frustrated when you feel entitled to this money that you didn't have to give away. And the goal here is not to put frustration on top of anxiety or to even replace anxiety with frustration. That's no better. Generosity with a frustrated heart is just as good as not giving from a spiritual perspective. So the idea here is, is an attitude shift. And we've, we've talked about it indirectly with some of these other verses that we've gone through in our other points. But the fundamental truth here, this is, this is the attitude change we need to have, is that everything we have has been given to us anyway. None of it is ours. None of it is an entitlement. It is all provision. God is good and gracious to provide, and he has, whether you have too little or too much in your perspective. But he has given you those things. It's a lot easier to have contentment with the amount that you have if you realize, well, it's, not, it's never mine to begin with. And it's a lot easier to give it away, too, when you realize, well, this is God's. This could go to somebody else. Paul talks about this miraculous provision that, that, um, that God does for him in, in 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, which, or 9, 9, 8, sorry, I don't have that verse up, but God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. He shared this with another church. Now, if we believe the Bible, and I do, I, I believe the Bible is true, I have to believe that when he says God will generously provide all that you need, that means all of it. That means everything that you need. God is going to provide it. That part is true. The need part is also true. It doesn't say anything about wants. It tells you you'll have everything that you need. Again, that's not always comfortable. But it's true. And he goes on to say, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And the plenty, that is a little bit of a relative term, I think, here, because, I mean, I have less to give than some other people. Anybody who has more than me has more to give away. That's just the way that numbers work, right? But we can all give plenty out of what we have. That video of, of, that Pastor Brian put up, proportional to what you make, that's kind of the whole idea here. You can, you can get rid of some stuff. It's true. I know that that's true. I could give a little bit when I was impoverished, I didn't give as much as I should have. I can say that for sure, because I, I didn't have this faith all the time. I was scared what would happen if I got rid of some of the money that I have. But then, that's when the anxiety crept in. If I allow money to be the thing that dominates my thoughts and the worries about it, then of course I'm going to have anxiety about it. And the Bible says this, too, about people who do decide to give generously. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount you get back. I love this metaphor. It's very cool. It's a cool promise from Jesus. But with our kind of physical mindset and our physical needs, as we're going around trying to meet those for others, if we are generously giving, the big question arises, what does it look like when that gift comes back to me? What does it actually mean when he says, you're going to have enough that it's going to pour over after you give some away? Like, if I give $10 to somebody who needs money for groceries, should I expect to find $30 in my seat cushion when I sit back down in my car? 
I don't think so. I don't think that that is a reasonable expectation for any of us to have of God. I mean, he could do that, right? He can, he can do all sorts of amazing things for us. But I don't think that's the promise here. If we give out of a generous heart, there will be gifts stored up for us in heaven. I know that's a little bit confusing. I, I myself don't fully understand this, really. But there is scripture that says there will be gifts stored up for you in heaven. If you, if you store your treasure here on earth, it's, it's going to fade. But treasure stored in heaven will last forever. And that might be the gift that you're going to get back. And I, I think, too, about a little bit more perspective than just finances here from this verse, because I don't think that Jesus was necessarily just talking about finances. There's a bigger need that we all have that we've already talked about. There's a God who has forgiven us for sins. That's a much bigger need. And he's given enough forgiveness to us to abound. Grace, mercy, compassion, love. Those are all things that we now have so much more of than we should have. And we can provide those to other people too who need them, who need forgiveness for a sin against you, who maybe just need to hear the good news of the same God who can work miracles in their lives. It's an attitude shift and a priority shift to get finances off of your heart and off of your mind and replace them with something much better. And that's the contentment of God. I want to close by reading our verse one more time, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I really hope that, that would sink into all of our hearts today. I hope that that would sink into an attitude change. Anybody who's dealing with struggling or struggling with anxiety about their finances right now, I pray that this would just sink into you, that, that, that you would be able to have a little bit of faith in a God who, who can provide. The way that he chooses to is up to him. Or maybe we could loosen the, the grip of money on your heart through generosity. I, I hope that we can do that today too. But I also just, I don't pretend to, to think that any of this biblical teaching will suddenly, in a snap, take away your anxiety. I mean, it could. If that happens for any of you, I am so grateful for that and, and, and praise to God for that. But it takes discipline to live within our means, to live without the things that we want and just the thing that we need. It takes discipline to acknowledge that God is good even when it feels like he's not. So I pray that, that you guys can have meaningful conversations with, with other people about that, if that's an attitude that you need to shift, if you need to have that conversation with your family, with your friends, with your mentor. I pray that the peace of God and the contentment of God will genuinely penetrate all of our hearts, no matter the situation that we're in today. And if you are in a situation of, of dire need, again, truly, I have been there. I, I've been there, and I, I don't want to diminish the, the struggles that you might be having but I'd ask you to come up and, and, and share that with me after the sermon or with Pastor John. We'd love to pray with you and try to share that burden with you however we can. I would just encourage you to do that. But again, my biggest prayer is that God's peace would just penetrate our lives today. And let's, let's pray that together now. God, I lift up this congregation today. I lift up the hearts of all the people here who, who are struggling, God, who, who are struggling with anxiety about their finances. God, we... We praise you that you did come to set us free from this anxiety and that you gave us the answer on how. God, I just ask that you would give us the gift of faith now. Anybody who's struggling with financial anxiety, God, give, give us all the faith to believe that you know our needs, God, even before we do sometimes. 
God, that you know how much is enough and you've given that to us. God, that you will always, always, always meet our needs. We thank you for that promise. God, I ask that anybody who's in here who, who, who is truly struggling financially, God, that they would, they would have the humility and the boldness at the same time to come and, and ad- admit that to, to Pastor John or I or, or somebody else, God, who, who might nominate them for the giving tree out, outside, God. I just pray that in your name, that, that that would be a real blessing to people who truly need it. And God, I, I pray that everybody in here would leave with a generous heart in them, God that you would just leave that on their minds, that you would put that conviction in them that, that, that we ought to be giving. We ought to be giving some of our, our material possessions away, God. I pray that in your name. Amen.